Florida's capital city. This is the Jeff Cameron Show, brought to you by Orange Theory Fitness on Real Talk 93.3. Now, stop what you're doing and listen closely. It's time for the Jeff Cameron Show in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. This would be the Jeff Cameron Show right here on 93.3. Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. Great pleasure to be with you on a Balls Wednesday, but also the Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving. This is the last show before the game. Now, we will have, of course, the pregame show. And why don't we get that out here right in front, right at the start of the show, right at the beginning here. Friday is a busy day for everybody. The day after Thanksgiving, hopefully you have had a wonderful meal with your family, friends, whomever it is that you join for Thanksgiving. Then from there, you'll be ready for football. We all will. The pregame show from Hotel Indigo begins at 4.30. We will be there, Tom Lang and myself, on the rooftop at Hotel Indigo. Beautiful setting It's not going to be as cold as I would have liked, Tommy, but we'll still be in a nice place. That crosswind is beautiful. You overlook the parking lot. Obviously, we'll fill up early as most tailgaters are ready to get down for Florida State, Florida. Then the in-game watch-along followed by the post-game show, call-in show. Tom Lang will join Gene Williams. So we're loaded up, as always, at War Chant with your game coverage Uh, I will be uh, in the stands for this one with Pops and cheering my head off. Just a fan this time around. Just a fan for a game like this. It should be a lot of fun, and uh, I look forward to it. I know all of you do. So that's the layout there. No Lee Sterling this week, Thanksgiving week. We usually don't have Lee. Lee is with his family doing his thing right now. We will have my mom's picks today, so we'll get those knocked out. But that's the layout for – The next couple of days, obviously, tomorrow, everybody is off. I don't know. I still feel good, Tom. I think that uh, you always kind of do a little gut check uh, the closer you get in weeks like this where you're about to play a big game. It's an important game. Everybody knows that. You can't duck that. Mike Norvell doesn't duck that. That's good. Um, Players have uh, obviously been excited about this one on both sides for a very long time. Fans get nervous. And, you know, I do normally do, too. I just am such a comfortable place with this team right now, though. Last few times that I've had an opportunity to to maybe second guess, I've I've actually been emboldened, and uh, if anything, felt even better about how they're going to play. And I do think Florida. I will. I you know we you and I were both on the War Chant Report yesterday, and you guys will be able to see that coming up. We'll have it on the on the channel and on the uh, website WarChant.com. But you know we we I'll give it away. We we picked Florida State to win, obviously, and pretty comfortably. I, I do think, and this is something else we said, that Florida will be the toughest competition that Florida State's faced in since Clemson. I mean, I, I do believe that. And it's not that's not a way of saying that Florida's really good. It is a way of saying that you caught some teams at the right time as you were getting healthy yourself. 
And Florida's got better athletes than Georgia Tech has. Florida's got better athletes than Syracuse has. Uh, Florida's got better athletes than than Miami has um, at this point. So there is still something in the cupboard there that Napier's working with. They're inconsistent. They're not all that deep. They don't play very good run defense. We know all those things are true. Florida State should be able to exploit those things. But they do have some guys that can run, and they have a quarterback that's very athletic, and you documented it. Uh, for those that uh, want to go see that, read the story that Tom posted, film breakdown, uh, third and Lang, Anthony Richardson. You'll you'll see, uh, you know, the, the pluses and the minuses of Anthony Richardson in that piece. And if you haven't watched a lot of Florida football and you've only heard about him from afar, well, there's a reason you hear about him. I mean, he's a big, strong athlete that has all the throws. And if you ever are able to get him to read the chessboard properly, if you're ever able to get him to kind of understand what you're trying to do and that athleticism is allowed to speak loud and clear, then, you know, you got something. And that's why an NFL team will take a chance on Anthony Richardson, knowing that the upside is that if you don't have to play him for three or four years, you can turn him into a star. Yeah, the thing about that offense is that, you know, it's predicated a lot on play action and what they can do with the straight-ahead run game. And we've talked about this a few times this week, but I, I like bringing it back up because it just makes me smile at how directionless Miami is at present. You know, when, when you turn on games of Miami and replays of watching the Hurricanes this season, especially before we played them and beat the crap out of them down uh, in that stadium, uh, you had no idea what they were trying to do. Like Even with Tyler Van Dyke, there's some passing concepts that are okay. There are some running concepts that are interesting. They do tempo, but they don't. Like I don't know what it is. I, I know what Gaddis did at Michigan, but I doubt that's what they want to do at Miami considering, you know, Harbaugh's got his own philosophy and vision of what he wants to do, and I would think Mario Cristobal would probably be a little bit more modern. Anyway, long way of saying they're a mess. Now, with Florida, you've got a head start with a quarterback who's going to go higher than his um, consistent consistency level would show because his tools are off the charts. But you can see in Billy Napier's offense exactly what they want to be about, running between the tackles. It's not counter to the outside. It's not outside zone. They want to run between the tackles. They want to create nice angles with the interior of their offensive line, cutback lanes, Along the interior, the ETN kid, the younger brother of Travis Etienne, is a good player. And I think yes, he's, he he's going to fit in that scheme if they can get some offensive linemen in there. And that's going to be a bit of an issue. But you can see what they're building towards. So the fun part is, I think Florida State is going to be able to stop that traditional run. Fabian Lovett being back in the fold changes things. The linebacking core being relatively healthy. I mean, Kalen Deloach, there were rumors out there this week. He was available to the media yesterday. You could see him running around on war chant film from practice. What does that tell you? Florida State is in a position to stop the run like they were at the beginning of the year for the LSU game. So if FSU can stop the traditional run for Florida, now Anthony Richardson is in a position where he has not succeeded with consistency this year. If you look at his numbers off of no play action, they are much, much worse than his numbers on play action. It's Not quite a Tom Brady disparity, but you get my point. So this matchup just sets up very well. But the thing is, you have to pause. You can't just say that it's going to be a, a tail whipping like we did for Miami week because Richardson is that good. He is potentially that good to keep them in the ball game. He could do it in multiple ways. And he's also got some advanced things about his game, even though he's inconsistent. Like, for example, keeping his eyes down the football field, even under duress. That is the trait of a professional quarterback. He's got it in him but then he'll make some mistakes and turn the ball over too. 
Well, and Florida State fans saw him last year. They saw him against us. And when he got into the game, I was furious because I knew he was the better player. He was, he's the guy you didn't want to play quarterback. And he threw a couple of dimes uh, in that game against us. And, and I remember thinking, well, you know, this is who that kid is. It's all in there. It, it's, it, it is. Now he'll throw it to the other team as well. And uh, he is a guy that I, I think he's, you know, Tom, I, I, one of the things I've noticed with him, and this is true of a lot of young quarterbacks in their development, He's got a, He's got an idea where he's going with the ball before the snap, uh, yeah. and it's not going to really change. Uh, it's not the third guy in the route concept. Yeah. It, it's not the third guy. I promise you that. Yeah, that's why I was jumping up and down about Trevor Lawrence when he was still in college. I'm like, well, you know, Clemson is so talented that you have to play them, <clears throat> excuse me, with fear. He They do a little motion pre-snap, and like, boom, he knows where he's going to go with the football. Well, what happens at the NFL level when you got to think twice? Mm-hmm. Are you still going to be that stud? Who can make every throw? Now, Urban Meyer didn't help, but you take my point that that's the college game where there's a lot of predetermined reads. The thing I'd say about Richardson, though, that is, again, fairly advanced, is he's not a one-read-and-go guy. And this is a brand-new offense that he's trying to assimilate in a short period of time, and he's done a decent job of that. And one way that you can see that, the evidence of it, is that his hand talent is starting to show more often in games, where in the beginning of the year, it was, I'm guessing, at 150 miles an hour, and now he's starting to put some arc on the ball for some of these yeah. throws. So that tells me he's much more comfortable in two ways. One, with the way the pocket is protected, and then two, he knows where a receiver is going so he can lead him rather than say, oh, crap, he's open. I better get the ball to him this instant. So uh, it, it'll be a good thing for Florida State if he just moves on on to, to the Sunday life after the season is over. But you've got Florida outgunned on both lines of scrimmage this year. I understand what the numbers say about the Florida Gators offensive line. Look at it this way. When's the last time they've seen a defensive line as healthy and as talented as Florida State in their schedule? We're focusing so much this week on Florida State having the benefit of what they've done the last four weeks against backup quarterbacks or injured quarterbacks and and a light schedule in terms of talent. Look, Florida hasn't exactly played much of anybody the last few weeks themselves. So this is going to be the best team that Florida has seen in quite some time, especially because Texas A&M had the flu. They've got the talent, but they had the flu. So they're in for a bit of a surprise, too. And I think that you could say since October, this is the best football team that they'll have seen. I think that's accurate. And I think for Florida State, if you handle the early adjustment to some of the speed differences that they're going to see here uh, and you just play to what you do, understanding that it's not going to be as simple perhaps as it has been the last few weeks, you'll be fine because they go over time winning both sides of the line of scrimmage. We know adds up to victory. You have to be patient. Jordan Travis has shown the ability to be patient. He has shown the ability to take what is given. I feel like Florida state's offense sets up these runs exceptionally well every week, different formations, different ways of going about operating, creating that extra gap, changing the math. Florida State does a really good job with this. It's not always counter like a lot of people think because of the Miami game. Florida State does a lot of things very well in setting up their run game, and they can come at it a lot of different ways. I got a sense yesterday from listening to Mike Norvell that he's very excited about this matchup and this opportunity. And why wouldn't he be? Teams have run on Florida, and this is a team that is a running machine. So it does play to what you do very, very well, very, very nicely. Uh, We'll see 
how they choose to exercise the options, right? I mean, that is the beautiful thing about watching game plan. You know, guys get tired of me on this show, I'm sure, talking about how good uh, they are schematically, how well they game plan for their opponents. But they just do. He and Alex Atkins deserve high praise this season for their game plans. Uh, I, I Every week, I, I smile. There's a wrinkle. There's something that wasn't there the week before. Now, they don't have to do that against Louisiana, and they really didn't. But when you look at some of the other games where they feel like they might be tested or the other team has a player that's a disruptor that you actually have to worry about, they scheme that up so well, either to put that defender in conflict, either to be able to block down on him. Sometimes there's the double. All of the things that they want to do to ensure they're going to be able to get the matchup they want and create that extra gap and get Benson into space. Because when that kid gets going downhill, it's a long afternoon for defenses. Yeah, the thing I'd say about this offense as well, and we're going to miss this part of what Jordan Travis does when he's gone, and hopefully that's not for another full season. But he has been very, very good at checking at the line of scrimmage. You know, it, it frustrates me at times, and it has in past weeks, because I think what it does is it, it almost ices the offensive line <laughs> because you're having to hold your stance yeah. for 10 seconds and 15 seconds. But you know what? The pre-snap penalties, knock on wood, have gone away. So it's it's less of a complaint now. But Jordan understands how to count. We begged any number of Jimbo's quarterbacks post-Jameis. Yeah, count. How is it that you can't see, and, and before Jameis, how is it that you can't see before the snap that you have an advantage in numbers on the perimeter and go there? Or, you know, these are basic things that Jordan makes look so easy. We don't have to think about them anymore. And why is that important? Well, because this offense, if it's run that well, especially pre-snap, if you have your primary objective stopped, you already have built-in options to go elsewhere. It's not like you have to bang your head against a wall or a clipboard after three drives and say, what do we do next? The answers are already there on the field. You just have to have a quarterback who understands, oh, we're outflanked here or we're outnumbered there, and either I'm going to keep the ball or I'll keep it with a, with a perimeter shot to the bubble in case somebody accounts for me. And Jordan does that so efficiently that this offense, at least at present, and we'll see with future quarterbacks, I don't think you have to go make drastic adjustments. You just have to make the right decision. And Jordan is operating at a real high in that regard. In fact, part of the discussion we had on the War Chant Report included a clip of him at practice uh, Tuesday, mm -hmm. Tuesday morning in which he's having to restrict himself, and he's unsuccessful, at smiling about the prospects of playing this Florida Gators defense. The question is, do you stay within yourself and not have your eyes get too big and you want to take a shot downfield for no reason? Just be systematic. That's one great thing about this offense, too, this year, is it can be both explosive and systematic. Yeah, uh, really methodical uh, at times, um, and and they're not afraid to to do that. They'll they'll take what you're willing to give them, and if that means a 12 to 15 play drive, then okay, fine. We're patient enough to do that, and we'll execute. And one of the reasons they can execute is they stay ahead of the chains. They do a very good job. Unlike last year, I mean, last year we talked about this ad nauseum. What is it? Well, it's first and 15 because we had a pre-snap penalty or it's first and 20 because we had a pre-snap penalty or we had a, you know, a penalty on the down, a, a holding or something along those lines. Then it was second and, you know, 10, second and nine. Okay. Still not good. Now it's third and five and Jordan last year in obvious passing downs had a very bad success rate, especially in the middle of the field. Teams began to take away stuff and he really struggled, but kudos to Jordan Travis and kudos to this staff for doing something about that very real problem 
They've eliminated a lot of those pre-snap penalties, so they don't play dumb. They don't, they don't really hinder themselves in that way. They went out and got some receivers. <laughs> that, that's very helpful that you now have guys that can win battles. They did not have guys that could win one-on-one battles last year. They do now. Jordan Travis worked really hard in the film room, figured out this offense, repped it, learned it, began to get more patient with the offensive line and trusted, didn't leave the pocket for no reason, didn't have happy feet. His mechanics are still something that come and go in game sometimes, but it's a lot better than it was. And he does hit the seam route now. So you are equipped to do whatever it is you have to do, as you're talking about in this offense, to have success. If they want to go ahead and, and they're hell-bent on stopping the run, which I think they will be in this game, and I would be as well. I'd be very physical, very fast, and I would overload numbers if I were Florida early. I would want Jordan to show me that he's going to make those throws consistently to those receivers if I'm taking away the run and I've got you in obvious passing downs. Now, he probably will make those throws, and then if I'm Florida, I'm screwed, like I have been a lot this year because I don't have a great defense and I don't have a really a, a way of doing anything about that. I don't have a dynamic rusher in this game like I would have had. I kicked one off the team if I'm Florida. That's a problem. The other one is suspended for a half because of a targeting call. So you have an opportunity here before they get their guy back to build a lead and really make this a moot point. And it's something to be thankful for. In fact, on that note, I do want to say when we come back, Tom, you and I are going to give us uh, give our listeners a list of, say, three or four things on the fly that we're thankful for for this year with Florida State football. It's that time of year. We might as well do that. Three or four things that we're very thankful for regarding Florida State football when we come back. Jeff Cameron, 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back guaranteed because with ebay motors you're burning rubber not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to make your car the mvp and bring home huge wins keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply we mentioned a moment ago that uh, we would go ahead and say a few things we're thankful for well I'm, I'm thankful for a lot of things and i think all of us are and certainly if you sit back and take the time to think about those things well, that's rewarding. That's enriching, isn't it? That's fun. You almost jot them down. But this isn't a life coach segment. This isn't a big perspective on your world of gratitude segment. This is going to be Tom and I saying, hey, there's like three or four things I'm really thankful for regarding this football team this year. There's more than that. We got to keep it to three or four so that we're not here for the remainder of the hour giving thanks for a wonderful season because it has been a good one. It's, it's featured a lot of things that I think most Florida State fans are really excited about, happy about, and that they believe will translate into next season. It is so weird to be consistently bringing up next season. Uh, we, we do it all the time, especially when the games begin to dwindle. You have fewer and fewer options to talk about upcoming matchups within the season, but instead what these wins are translating to as a big-picture program and what it means for next season's games. You know, we thought, Tom, to some degree, that the offseason uh, was, was somewhat interminable. 
Uh, every offseason feels a bit like that at times. By the time you get around to June, you're like, okay, uh, I'm going to need some football in my life here soon. Uh, and it's especially true if you're eager and anticipatory for something that you suspect is going to be to your liking. Yeah. And I think we suspected that this season was going to be the big step forward. Certainly, we didn't think it was going to be a losing season. And the degree to which we thought they'd be good, well, that was that was within a game. Uh, I, I thought eight and four. You thought nine and three. I think you're going to be right. Neither of us thought it would necessarily look like it looks. No. Um, and and I think that's what's fun about these seasons. First of all, everybody's a preseason prognosticator. Anybody who cares about their team, anybody who cares about football, we all have an opinion of what we think is going to look like in the NFL. What we think a college program is going to look like. What a conference is going to look like. What our program is going to look like. And I say it all the time. Wins and losses happen for a reason. They bring about emotion, changes your perspective, you recalibrate. One thing is also true. It's always true in this conference, but I think it's true across the board. There's going to be a team that's predicted to be really good. That's not. See Texas A&M. There's going to be a team that is predicted to be terrible, who ends up not being terrible. Duke. So, you know, you look, you look around, you're like, oh, okay. And these things happen all the time. None of us thought Syracuse would start 6-0. Now they have fallen into their rightful place of sorrydom, which is where they belong and will consistently be. But they sure gave us a scare for six games like they were for real. They surprised us. I don't think we thought Florida State would come back on the second half without their starting quarterback on the road against Louisville. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, we didn't predict it would play out the way that it has. So big picture, college football has been great this year. Really happy about that. That is an off-the-field, non-Florida State-specific thing that I'm happy about. The sport I love has been better this year. The sport I love has not been good the last several years. And it's not just because Florida State hasn't been part of it, although that contributed. It hasn't been good because it was too predictable and there was a lack of competitive balance. I brought this up yesterday. The thing that has always plagued women's basketball is when the NCAA tournament starts, you've got three and four seeds getting blown out by 60 points. That that ain't good. <laughs> you 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 need competitive balance. It can't be that there are three teams in the country capable of beating everybody else by 50, which is what they had for a long time in that sport. College football was getting that way. It was basically, look, man, Alabama might get scared, may lose a game during the year, perhaps, against one other good SEC team, but you knew they were going to be uh, in the playoffs, and you knew they were going to be playing for a national title. You knew Ohio State, was going to be far and away the best team in the Big Ten. It was just a matter of not only are they the best team in the Big Ten, but are they the second or third best team in the country? These are the things that we begin. And then you had a Clemson, obviously, out of the ACC, and then usually some poor soul that was going to get beat down like a drum. Michigan State, Notre Dame, you name it. Like, that's what you were going to get. So that ain't good. This year, it's not that, because even Georgia is really fallible. Alabama obviously isn't making the college football playoff this year. In fact, they're a team that could lose another game. I mean, we'll we'll see. Uh, certainly could lose their bowl game depending on who plays. Uh, you look around the, out on the West Coast, Southern Cal has returned to form. They now matter, but they can't stop you or me from scoring, and they're, they could lose to Notre Dame this weekend. We'll see. It's, it's an interesting deal. There doesn't appear to be a completely dominant team. Ohio State last year got usurped by Michigan. That game's coming up. I'm looking forward to it. But, hell, they were in a war last weekend against Maryland. 
So they're not as dominant as we've seen. Georgia only won 16-6 to over Kentucky, has had moments this year where they didn't look good. Obviously, could have lost. Maybe should have lost to Missouri. So, again, it's this, it's it's college football's competitive balance expanded this year at a time when Florida State got good. So all of that infuses life into you because now you do begin to say, well, next year, if it's the same kind of thing, Florida State's in the playoff. Florida State's a team that could could win the ACC. And Florida State at that point is a contender to make the playoff. Now, is it 2024 that they go to the 12, Tom? Not this, not, it's not this next year. It's 2024, I believe it is. They haven't gotten their crap together. So uh, probably, probably so. I, yeah, I think that's what we're what we're what we're thinking. Let's zero it back in here, though. Got ahead of myself. Got excited. Seasons made me do that. Uh first thing I'm thankful for is the trip to New Orleans and the time we had together, Tom, and the time. Florida State fans had together, and then the work we were able to do together as a team at War Chant, uh, really a high-profile event that we had, packed with people. It was so nice to meet and greet everybody and to see everybody come out and be excited about a football game again, have real belief that something could happen that was in favor of Florida State for once, something special beyond just a, a meeting point. We actually had expectations that they could win, and then we went and saw an incredible football game it didn't need to be as close as it was, but in many ways, I'm glad it was because it will be etched in our memory forever. The blocked extra point, the moments afterwards, going down on the field, uh, me and Corey and Ira uh, kind of watching the players walk around and going back into that locker room to, to have an opportunity to talk to Jordan Travis and to, to you know, a, a, again, to be able to kind of, I don't know, get a sense that the program was moving forward and that they had a, they had registered their first signature win, really, and for Mike Norvell and that group. But the whole thing, the trip to New Orleans, uh, the drive there, you and I going to Biloxi together the day before and spending some time there together and having some fun and then driving on. Man, I, I really uh, – I'm very thankful for that, that the LSU trip and game – it, all of that. I'll, I'll say that's number one on my list to start. Yeah, I got uh, knocked over while well, knocked, knocked over. But in my chair in Biloxi, remember that one? The uh, the, the, the that lady, was the best. that lady was three sheets to the wind. Three sheets to the wind, and God knows what other substances were going on there beyond gambling adrenaline. There was uh, there was a lot to parse through that particular moment. But it was fun. She walked out under her own power, kinda. So uh, she's alive, Tom. We think at least she was that night. Yeah. I don't know about now. Yeah. <laughs> um. That particular trip, my memory, too, was uh, quasi calling the blocked extra point just because that game was so freaking goofy. You know, I was mm -hmm. watching with D-Rob. I'm like, it wouldn't shock me if that happens here. This has been that kind of a night. And you think about, you know, the the foundation for this season was really close to going the other way. And, and that's where you need something good to happen for you, even though we put ourselves in that position. If Brian Kelly does what he did against Alabama and goes for two, I, I don't know where the season goes after that point. And so that takes me to the place where I will say what I'm thankful for first. The Rotomaker existed. We saw him at least one time. It's a good and one. Maybe we'll see him more. Uh, I would hope not on Friday night unless it's in a blowout fashion. But you think back to how many big-time throws that dude made. I mean, think about that second half. Coming in, you're going into halftime, awful interception, just a terrible interception. Mm -hmm. And then he comes out, quick little throw. It's an RPO glance, and then we're off and running. He has the big third down conversion with his legs. 
Then Toafili scores, and then he goes right down the field with a bomb, which he trades a shot to his chest, Johnny for deep, and then it's an easy touchdown, and then the final touchdown of the game in the back corner of the end zone. So the Rotomaker existing is my number one thing uh, because I think it seems like we're going chronological here. But well, I just it's easier that way because we've had a lot along the way to be thankful for. So that's a good one. And, you know, I'm sure we're both going to double up on things here because that's something I'm thankful for, too. I I, I think for me, yeah, you're right. It, it, calling it that way, describing it that way is the right way because you and I have had fun with uh, Rodemaker's name, being the Rodemaker being a character. And, and, and that can only exist if you're good. So it happened that on this night where, where he was. So I would say this. I was so happy for that kid. You know, I, we do see him in practice, and we have seen him be good, and we have seen him work hard, and we know he cares. And we know he gets nervous under the lights. We know that that is something that has happened to him. And if that plagues you in any sport, it could be your undoing. I mean, you, you, you know, in the world of golf, Tom, because you were around kids that could really play, but you know, I've lived long enough to accidentally bump up against guys that were really good once. And I remember there was a guy, I won't say who he is that I met a number of years ago when I started to get into golf, he could do magical things with the golf ball. And I played with him a couple of times, which he shot like 66. And I thought, well, why aren't you a pro or did you ever play pro or did you aspire to, he was older than me. And I said, did you ever play? And he goes, oh, I, I couldn't handle it in tournaments. I, I, I wilted. And he just said it matter of factly. It broke my heart. I was like, what? He goes, oh no, I was all state. I was great. Um, I got college scholarships. I played in college. I rarely succeeded. Oftentimes I didn't even get to be part of the travel team because if it mattered, I, I, I got real nervous and I'd hit a couple of OB and then my round would be over. I was like, Oh no, this is a Greek tragedy. <laughs> this is, but my point is, Rodem Tate Rodemaker has ability. He can play college football. And he might even be able to play it at a, at a decently high level. But he could not perform when the lights came on. And we would sit and watch that and be like, oh, this is a tragedy. Like, this is a shame. He's making throws we never see him make in practice. Yep. Like, just firing it under the ground, missing dudes by 20 feet, not going through a single progression. Like, just doing things where you're like, oh, he's scared. This isn't good. So to see him come out of that and not only not play scared, but make freaking plays. The 15-yard run, like you said, hanging in the pocket and taking a shot in the chest plate in order to throw that ball to Johnny Wilson. Like, those are big boy throws and plays in a moment where we had to have it. So that's a good one. Yeah, yeah that's a good one. You're right. That was fun to see. All right, something else I'm very thankful for, and I, I, I think this is big picture as well. I'm thankful we don't have to start over. This season was a referendum on Mike Norvell, his staff, and this program. We called it before the year. In my opinion, this season was going to be a referendum on Mike Norvell. Either you succeed in a way that convinces the money people and recruits that you're for real and are going to be here for the long term, or you don't. That's all that was on the line this year. That's all. Either you're prolonged employment and an opportunity to continue to better the program and watch us climb to the very top of this conference was in play. Or, what a shame, may have been some bad breaks. We're going to have to find the other guy. Thanks for cleaning up the program. Thanks for changing the locker room dynamic. 
Thanks for instilling proper values in this program, but you're dead and buried because you never could win enough games to get off the ground in terms of recruiting talent. Now you know you don't have to start over. You've got your guy. And Alex Atkins has been awesome too. And a lot of these coaches have stepped up. <clears throat> excuse me. Getting verklempt. A lot of these coaches have stepped up big time and made it possible for Florida State to know in no uncertain terms they have their guy. And I'm thankful for that because I like Mike Norvell and I think he's a good football coach, but good football coaches get fired all the time. And so I was really well aware that it could be his fate if he did not win that LSU game and then later the Louisville game and the close moments that we're talking about are the last four wins since we came out of the three-game losing streak. But he did win those games, and they have taken that step forward. Yeah, you know, related to that, how about Ron Dugans in the year he's had? I mean, from just being the consensus assistant coach who was not getting it done to getting this transfer class in here, developing those kids into something a little bit more, mm -hmm. and then also securing the recruitment, at least to this point, we'll see about signing day, but of a five-star bona fide receiver that we have not had in quite some time from the high school ranks in Hakeem Williams. And he's not the only receiver that's in this class. But why do I speculate on that? Because Mike Norvell said Ron Dugans has had a hell of a season in one of his Monday press conferences this year. So it's not like my opinion, man. It is the head coach going on record, which mm -hmm. he knows exactly what he's doing. Mike is very calculated in what he says and how he answers questions, especially when it comes to things like personnel, either on the field or in the coaching staff. And he it was probably, I don't know, after week four or week five, might have been when Johnny was first emerging and showing consistency that he could be a real big-time impact player. It was The question was about the receivers, and he said, Ron Dugans has had a hell of a season. Ron Dugans has been doing a great job. To me, that is a turnaround that I'm thankful for because, number one, Coach Dugans is a knoll. Nobody likes to pick on a knoll if they're not getting the job done. Once upon a time, that happened to Odell Hagens around uh, Jimbo's first or second season where – Lawrence Dossey. Lawrence Dossie too. But if Timmy Jernigan didn't say yes to Florida State, there was speculation that that might be it. That might be mm -hmm. it for Odell. Could you imagine the last 13 years without Odell Hagens? Right. How different they would have been? He was the healer twice in a, in a three-year span. Uh, four and Odell or five and Odell, whatever we were at, the, at that point. I'm not saying that it's all fixed for Ron Dugans, but what I'm saying is I would never have foreseen a year this good for Florida State's wide receivers coach when basically he was re-upped and not given a raise, which is a signal to all that you're pretty much on the way out. And now look at that room. You've got more options than you need at receiver, more variety of options, and you've got help on the way. I'm thankful that the wide receiver position for Florida State appears to be fixed, and it felt like it was unfixable. You know, to that end, and we'll wrap here. I mean, I think we've hit some pretty bulk issues here that needed to be addressed and we're thankful have been. Uh, I will tell you, I'm also happy for, because you're talking about a good guy. So so Ron Dugans is a good guy. You know, and in this business, we've been around a lot of coaches, some of whom we like, some of whom we don't. Certainly we're cap capable of zooming out and just saying, all right, objectively, is this person, whether no matter how I feel about him, is he doing a good job or not? Well, we can do that, 
But it's harder to do it when a guy's a good guy who cares about the kids, who is working hard. And if he's not getting the job done, it breaks your heart to have to say, like, oh, he's a great guy, but we're going to he's a great guy. We're going to have to fire. (laughs) That's a bad feeling. And he was dangerously close. and, And we know that. So you're right to point that out. I will point this out no matter what happens moving forward. And I, I do think there are some, some question marks about a number of coaches on the staff moving forward uh, in terms of their long-term prognosis. Not next year necessarily, but just in terms of their long-term prognosis. Another really good guy who's worked his ass off and deserves kudos is Adam Fuller. Mm-hmm. Adam Fuller works really hard. He cares very deeply. He is an extremely knowledgeable football coach who's an open book when you sit down to talk to him. I mean, he'll, you can ask him anything. He'll answer it. He gets it. He's, he, I mean, and he does care. He really cares. Like, it's not just about the football. He cares about these kids. You know, I don't know if Adam Fuller's here five years from now. I don't, I don't know that. I mean, we'll see. But, man, what a year for Adam Fuller. I mean, yeah. that team has – they are so much better defensively. There's, by any objective measure, they're better across the board. Yeah, agreed, and that's with uh, what you assumed, meaning you, uh, the fan base, and us, to be a lockdown corner not being anything close to lockdown and you having to search for answers. They cultivated Renardo Green out of the spring into this season where it was, that's a nice story to where the hell would this defense be, this secondary be, without Renardo Green on the edge? Very thankful for Renardo Green, yes. Yeah, I mean, Kevin Knowles hasn't had a great year compared to expectations, and some of that, he's been uh, in a green jersey a lot of the season, and you see that in the war chant footage. I'm not giving anything away, so I don't know what exactly he's dealing with. They said the same thing about Amari and Cooper, but you think about that, plus not having Fabian Lovett for a long stretch of time, and I'm not saying that they were gangbusters without Fabian Lovett, but they've had to coach around deficiencies that they weren't expecting and anticipating. And they've come out on the other side of that. And look, everybody has an easy part to their schedule. Everybody has a difficult part to their schedule. And we're all having played now in across college football, 11 football games. That Florida State is in the top 15 in the country after 11 football games. I know. I don't believe that they're going to be a pipeline to the NFL with this crew of 11 either. But maybe that's even more evidence that yeah. you can make a case for the defensive coordinator saying, how the hell did he get it done with this crew? Yeah, no, it's impressive. It's very impressive. And it's it's a lot to be thankful for. And that's good. You want a bounty, a bevy of things to be thankful for. And we ha- we can keep going. We can do another three segments on this. It's Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. The Cameron Show is a production of the WarChant.com Multimedia Network. Check out WarChant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's WarChant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk 93.3. I watch the rain, it settled in, disappeared for days again. Most of us were staying in, lazy like the sky. Letters flew across the wire, filtered through a million to do what we just did uh here on the jeff cameron show a little who, who's thankful for what and, and and all the aspects of it um it is 
it's weird to think about on the other side you know what are you what are you mad about and i'm not going to delve into that the day before thanksgiving but um i think we would all just circle the nc state game i, I think you can live with both the clemson and the wake losses um especially because the bulk of play was really kind of dictated by both wake and clemson um it, it varying points in that game whereas nc state that's that's a choke job, but it was also a situation where I think Jordan Travis, lest we forget, learned a valuable lesson there. I mean, he was a little petulant that night. He forced things that he didn't need to force. He appeared very frustrated with Mike, if you recall there. We have seen no such behavior since. None. Yeah. There had to have been a, a come-to-Jesus moment there. Mike's a really good teacher. You know, Mike, that's one thing that really stands out. Mike does a good job of utilizing negative moments, bad moments, even as it pertains to negative moments for him, for him as a coach. He learns lessons, and he learns lessons for himself, and he does a very good job of illustrating and showing players in the moment that they've been weak, in the moment that they've – been flustered in the moment that they've forced it or made decisions that we simply can't have around here or illustrated body language that is not conducive to being a leader. You know, Mike's done a good job. I mean, we, we saw the Deuce Span situation. You know, that was a moment in time. It looks bad in the eyes of some people, but that's coaching, man. That's coaching. That's you. You got to be here with me, brother. We got it. We got it. Come on now. This is what we do. And I think Deuce will be better for it. We know that. And I think Mike handled that well. Uh, Mike has shown some emotional immaturity at times in big moments where we've succeeded or failed. And I've seen him grow up from that as well. But Jordan Travis, from that NC State game forward, has not had a single moment in which he didn't illustrate what, uh, what it means to be a leader uh, in moments of, um, you know, Travail in uh, moments of success. He's been very, very good. He's been pretty even keel about it, and he's been a good leader. He's been able to go. You, you watch that guy when things don't go right. He's, he's the same as, they, as he is when they, go, when they do go right, and, and he's always really good about coming over and talking to his receivers if there's a miscommunication. So I think he's done a good job. He's done a real good job of figuring that out post-NC State. Yeah, I agree, and, and listen, that's what we talked about at the time, which is he hasn't had to go through what a real quarterback goes mm -hmm. through as they learn, and, and we're annoyed, or, well, we were at the time, annoyed that these lessons had to be learned, but it also makes perfect sense to me. I, I don't look at his age and say that he should know by now. Look at his experience. Right, I mean, right. the dude has been through how many offensive coordinators, two programs? Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, technically three, if you want to say a coaching change is a program change. And then he hasn't been a quarterback who can deliver throws until this season. So since high school, he did it a little bit in high school, but mm -hmm. that's a long period of time to go without being, you know, a quarterback who is a thrower first when you want to make big plays. And you got to learn some lessons at the speed of this game. And also he's somebody who has been very open about how he listens to the noise and he's learned how to shut that out. He had to have, he, he had to have learned how to shut that out. But even back to the Devin Travis days, his brother who played for Florida state baseball, he used to respond to people on Twitter who sniped at Devin. 
that's not a healthy way to go about, you know, the world. And it's, you're going to end up stressing over things that you can't control anyway. So my point being, this is a process that he's had to go through as a quarterback who makes decisions in a split second, but then also as a leader who, who needs to learn what is important and what is not important. And we went along for the ride with both of these figures, the head coach and the quarterback. Have we completely arrived on the other side? Are there not more lessons that are going to be learned? There are definitely going to be lessons for both of these people as we go forward. Hopefully not in a loss. Hopefully it's just a drive that you'd like to have back. Sure. But they're so much better. The versions of themselves now, they're so much better. And I look at the evidence of speaking about the quiet part out loud. Mike Norvell did it again on Monday when he said last year when we went down to Gainesville, we didn't handle ourselves with the proper maturity for that particular game. Alex Atkins felt empowered enough to say after Mike Norvell said that, that we were focused on trying to beat the Gators, not be the best version of ourselves. If you're willing to say those things and turn the lights on on your own program, that yeah, means you turn the corner. Yeah, you, you feel comfortable enough in what you're doing. And part of maturity is humility. So we're just in a very healthy place as a program right now. You don't have those moments where the coach sinks down and has the rabbit ears and snipes at a reporter because they didn't like the tenor of a question. That's immature. We've got a mature head coach. Yeah, and it's important that kids in your program that you're depending upon to lead and execute and be good players for you uh, understand how to block all that stuff out because I can't fathom, and I give these kids a lot of credit, I cannot fathom playing a professional, being a professional athlete or a, a high-profile collegiate athlete in today's climate. Uh, I grew up in an era where cell phones didn't exist. Nobody could even text you to tell you they sucked, that you sucked. Now, <laughs> they can certainly do that, and they can go on every social media platform known to man and express their, uh, their concern about your abilities or who you are. And people, obviously are emboldened to say whatever they want to say behind a keyboard or a text board. And they, and they do, and they do. And if you're one of those people who wants to interact, you're never going to make it because there's no way to armor yourself completely against buffoonery like that. So you have to mature and grow up enough to know I can't engage. You know what? I'm the man in the arena. They are not. I'm going to go play. I'll let them talk about my play, and I'm not going to concern myself with it. So it's good to see. It's good to see that we have a coach who doesn't, and certainly it's great to see that Jordan Travis has figured it out as well. Hour number two, fourth coming. Stay with Jeff Cameron, 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. <laughs> 